0: Hopefully you guys can see that. Um, this is kind of just, I want to give you guys kind of an update of what's been going on. So uh, I've already shared with many of you this morning, uh, you know, that Isaac came down with COVID last week. Um, the timing was perfect. First of all, he's doing fine. He's been a few days without any kind of symptoms at all. So we think he's passed it now. And um, by the grace of God, you know, we didn't get any, um, none of the other three of us got anything. I and Luke were in the house with them the whole time and nothing happened on his part. So, you know, on their part. So they didn't get sick. So I believe that was the Lord that intervened on that. The timing was absolutely a God thing. Um, it would have been very complicated if it did not happen exactly the way that it happened. Um, I was I was flying out on Thursday morning uh, to go to the Bible college in Murrieta where Melinda is going to school, which you see that picture right there. Um, had I not left on that exact day, uh, it would have really complicated things, uh, both for, you know, my job, uh, ministry, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. You know, I think about the fact that we didn't meet the week before, you know, we, we believe he was exposed that Wednesday. Uh, but you know, again, we didn't even go to, we didn't even have church that service that Sunday. Um, there's just so many things that, that really just came just perfectly the way it was supposed to be. Uh, but you know, again, just, I look at all that and it's like, man, just the Lord was really, really good. And most importantly, you know, he's doing good. Um, but the, the picture you see there, that is the Bible college where Melinda is just slaving away day after day. You can see kind of, uh, I don't know if I can, oops, I can't. Yeah. I don't want to do that. So, oh, there we go. Hey, that's a better picture. Okay. So you can see that, uh, that little steam that's in the back. Those are hot springs. They're natural hot springs there at Murrieta. And uh, the whole campus is just full of it. So that was my view when I came out of my room. That's the first thing you see is all this steam and hot springs going on. Just It's just beautiful, a really beautiful campus. Uh, really blessed to be part of that. So that was the, the campus. This is their coffee house. This is like my favorite coffee house in the entire world. I uh, I love the coffee, first of all, it's delicious. I don't know what beans they use, but it is good stuff. Uh, but you got that Muriel there. You've got Martin Lloyd-Jones and you've got D.L. Moody over there. Oh, I'm sorry, Spurgeon. And then you've got Chuck Smith. Uh Chuck Smith is in the middle and he's kind of the founder of Calvary Chapel. And he's passed away now 10 or so years ago. Um, but, you know, to walk into that place and this this Bible college is now up for sale, uh this huge, beautiful facility. And it's been there for about 25 years. But, uh, you know, for me to be able to go and visit her at this time and to be able to teach there right when I was able, it was really, really a special memory for me, especially to walk in there and and just know how much Chuck did, um, how much he poured into those kids, wanting them to have, you know, a Bible college education. And my daughter's been able to receive that. And the Bible college is still going to be going on, uh, but they just don't know where it's going to happen yet. It might be at Twin Peaks is where it might move back to, which is where they were from prior to this. Um, but, you know, again, just walking in that coffee house and seeing that, it just really, really reminded me of how special it was, you know, this place that has been used for so long. Um, I just wanted to walk by that. I'm like, man, if only all libraries, I th- thought of Gretchen, you know, wouldn't you like to see this sign in your library at school? You know, every li- library, you know, that has a sign that says study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. I just thought, man, what a blessing, you know, that, you know, all those kids, my daughter included, and uh, so many families that I know. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Dave and all three of his kids, you know, had had gone to that college. And, you know, just just to have that atmosphere, you know, like this is the precedent. This is what we're going to do. And uh, it just really stood out to me as I was walking by. That was uh, the Sanctuary where I was teaching, they've got a real nice sanctuary there, and you know it was really a blessing. God absolutely um you know there there are certain memories that I have when I go and guest teach um, and there are some times that really stand out where I know that God did something pretty amazing, and this was one of those things. Um, I was just absolutely throughout my the rest of my stay there for the next couple of days. I had so many conversations, uh, with staff, um, with students. Um, there was one, I mean, really deep, profound conversations, uh, tied into what the Lord spoke to their heart through my teaching. I had, uh, taught, I've taught it for you guys. I've taught it a couple other places, but godly GPS, but it was tailored to this particular, you know, situation that they're in. And, uh, the Lord just absolutely moved on so many people's hearts. And I was just, I was just astonished, um, how much feedback I had. Um, one really special memory was, uh, there was a girl who's, she's probably about 20 years old and, um, she has recently stopped taking chemo. Uh, she has a form of cancer that, that is terminal and, uh, she wanted to go to Bible college. And uh, she she was there for that teaching, and she came up to me after I, I was actually talking to some other people, and I saw her kind of waiting off in the distance as I'm walking around the campus, and she comes running up to me afterwards, and she was like, she just shared her heart with what the Lord had spoken to her through that teaching um, about, you know, how the Lord closes doors sometimes, you know, and, and you have to trust Him, you know, and what He's doing. And uh, it was just a really special moment because I thought, wow, man, if this if this young lady goes to see the Lord here in the next month or two, and you know, that I would have the privilege to be able to teach her the word and and teach her something that really ministered to her and uh, strengthened her, you know, for, for what's coming. Um, it, was, it was really a special moment for me. And, uh, you know, there was lots of those conversations. There was lots of really deep, profound conversations with the staff and, you know, other pastors. It was just, it was really, really an amazing time. Um, this was fun time. This was Saturday, me working on a tan. I, you could tell I was the only guy from Oregon on that entire beach <laughs> only by my legs. And, uh, you know, it was like, it was fun. We got to go, uh, kayaking in the ocean in uh, La Jolla it was the area that we were at. So near San Diego, and it was just beautiful. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We had a really great time. I actually did very well this time. Last time, you know, we went kayaking, I thought I was going to die because there was no back brace on the kayak that we took. And I was in a perpetual crunch for, it felt like two hours, but I think it was 10 minutes. But uh this time they had a back brace. It was so awesome. It changes everything. It's a game changer. Uh, But it was fun. We had a really great time and uh good to see Melinda there too. So I think that is it of the pictures. Yep, that's from last week. So I'll stop sharing that stuff here. All right. Get this video going, but just want to update you guys on what was going on, you know, during that time. Uh, thank you for allowing me to do that. I, I know that, you know, hey, I took off and, you know, and, and got to do some things, got to visit with Melinda and, and got to do some ministry. And, uh, you guys are part of that when you allow me to do those things. Uh, I know that the Lord uses it. And, um, sometimes I wish I, I wish you guys could see what God does, you know, whenever I get into those situations, cause I just kind of walk out of it humbled. Um, at how God uses some of those things in people's lives. And uh, I just thank you for your prayers and thank you for you guys, you know, supporting me so that I can do those things because it, it really was, it was life-changing for, um, for, for myself, uh, refreshing. And it was life-changing for, you know, some other people and some answers that they needed from the Lord and the Lord provided it. So anyways, I just would like to share that with you guys. So why don't we go ahead and uh, let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 31 and let's pray. And then we'll get going here. Other God, I thank you, Lord, that we can be here. You know, this is, you know, as we've always said, this is not ideal. We know that. Uh, But it is, it's sufficient. Uh, I really do believe so, Lord. Um, What an amazing age that we can still, you know, not just watch something on TV, but we can have some interaction and there can be some fellowship and, and Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that we have that as an option for us. Uh, you know, it's a good option for us. And I thank you that you've taken care of Isaac and allowed him to heal and, uh, getting over this COVID thing. And thank you for sparing my family. Thank you for sparing myself, um, you know, so that it didn't really make things super complicated for work and, and everything else that, that would have been affected. And, uh, I just thank you. I, I see your hand all over it and, uh, your perfect timing. It, it could not have been any better than it actually was. Uh, Lord, so I just thank you for for just the, your exact perfect timing, Lord. And uh, Father, we're here this morning because we want you to speak specifically to our hearts. Um, we know that you can do it through your word. We know that you do it through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you please speak mightily to each of our hearts and uh, just help us to understand what it is you're trying to teach us in the circumstances that we are in right now in life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So two weeks ago, we were in Genesis 30. Where, you know, Jacob and Laban had really come to an agreement that whatever spotted or streaked or otherwise blemished sheep or goats, you know, would become Jacob's compensation for as many years of service uh, that he had been doing. And Laban and his sons, though, if you remember, they had come up with a plan in the midst of that. And their plan was they were going to cheat him. They, they agreed to it. They're like, okay, so here's the deal. Any kind of, you know, if any of the spotted or streaked sheep or goats come out, they're yours and the rest of them are mine. So basically the rejects, the blemished ones, you can keep and everything else we keep. And that's how he was going to start kind of his, his nest egg for his family. Uh, and they, they basically took all of them. Instead of letting them starting, let them start with something, they took all of those and Laban gave them to his sons. So that, that wasn't part of the deal. It was supposed to be Jacob. So he started with nothing. Once again, he was cheated by Laban uh, the way that, that he had done a few times before that. Uh, but God intervened, even though, you know, he was. He was in a bad situation, and it was very clear that he had been taken advantage of. Genesis chapter 30, verse 43 said, And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves, and camels and donkeys. So despite the fact that Laban had done what he had done and he had gotten away with seeming to take advantage of him one more time, the Lord intervened on Jacob's behalf and the Lord took care of it and he increased his riches just in an astounding way. So it was really cool to see how God was still working, even in a situation that didn't look so good for him. In chapter 31, we see how Laban and his sons are going to start to react to all this situation. So it says in 31.1, now Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. Jacob has taken all that was our father's and has built his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob saw Laban's faith, face that his attitude toward him was not the same as before. And the Lord said to him, go back to the land of your ancestors and to your family, and I will be with you. You know, right away I see how God works so often. This is how I see God work in our lives and in my life so many times. You see that combination of, of that God given intuition that God gives us, you know, like the Lord stirring, the Lord speaking something to our heart when we're in a difficult circumstance. But we combine that with just our natural abilities, what we see. You know, he first, he heard what they were saying. And then he saw Laban's change of attitude towards him. It was then that the Lord gave him specific, you know, leading on what he needed to do, specific directions on what he needed to take. And sometimes God's leadings work in conjunction with what we're seeing and what we're feeling, things that we're observing. You know, we don't have to just completely check out everything that, that we can make sense of. There are some things that we can make sense of, that we look at situations and we're like, trouble's brewing. You know, we can see it. That person's attitude is changing towards me. Um, that circumstance is not working out so well. We can kind of see it and we can feel it. But it's always best to do just like we see there. He saw, he felt, he understood what was going on. But the last thing and the most important thing was the Lord spoke to him. The Lord spoke to him. And in his case, it was, you know, something where the Lord actually came to him and gave him something audible. But I liken that to, you know, sometimes being in the word of God. You know, there's times where we're going through a tough situation or maybe we've got friction or, you know, some sort of contention in our life with someone else. And we're like, Lord, I see trouble brewing. I see that this person is trying to take advantage of me or they're upset with me or, you know, maybe I feel like we need to have a split. We need to get away from each other, whatever it is, some distance in our relationship. But we need to wait for the Lord to give confirmation. It needs to be him that says, finally, Go back to the land of your ancestors. Now go. Now's the time you need to go. You don't just make that decision based solely upon what you're seeing and what you're feeling, and certainly not just on what you feel. The Lord knows exactly when we're supposed to either stay or go, and we need to be patient, and we need to trust him and wait for that exact timing. He will give the confirmation, and it often comes through his word, uh, where he gives the confirmation of now's the time. This is what I want you to do. And then you take action. So Jacob goes and he starts informing his wives of what the Lord has spoken to him and what he has observed. In verse four, it says, Jacob and Rachel said, I'm sorry, Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the field where his flocks were. He said to them, I can see from your father's face that his attitude towards me is not the same as before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that with all my strength, I have served your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. But God has not let him harm me. If he said the spotted sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep were born spotted. If he said the streaked sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep were born streaked. God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me and given them to me. You know, I like verse 6 where it says, You know that with all my strength I have served your father. What a blessing it is, you know, if you find yourself in a difficult circumstance, whether it's in a marriage or it's a uh, maybe a business dealing or maybe it's your job, you know, who knows what the circumstance is. But what a blessing it is if you're able to maintain your honor and your conduct in the midst of a difficult circumstance, because there's always that temptation to flesh out. There's always that temptation to get even or give them what they deserve. But when you're able to to. Live as a Christian in a way that glorifies God in the midst of somebody treating you wrong. What a blessing that is. I mean, that is huge. And it's, it's something that the Lord will take care of and the Lord will honor. But remember, people are watching you. They're watching what you are doing, how you're responding. Everybody can see that you're being wronged. It's, it's not like you're the only person who can see it. Every person can see what's going on is wrong. When that happens in a Christian's life, though, we have a unique opportunity to display integrity and honor in the midst of that. Because it shows that we trust the Lord and we're not just trying to fight back and get what we deserve. You know, we we see that the Lord is, is in control of these things. And, he's to, and he appeals to them on that basis. He says, you know. You know, even though your dad cheated me over and over and over, you know what I'm saying is true. That I worked, I worked hard for him. I worked with all of my strength and I served him like a slave. I still kept up my end of the bargain, even though he was taking advantage of me for all these years. We need to make sure that we don't allow people in the way that they treat us to dictate the way that we respond. Because sometimes the way that we respond is more sinful. the thing that they did against us in the first place we are on display even when we're being wronged we are on display you know verse 7 you know you see that he says in verse 7 and 9 he talks about the fact that you know he cheated me and changed my wages tens times but this is important but god has not let him harm me do you see that balance he did cheat him he did change his wages there were things that he did, that he got away with, that he succeeded in. But still, Jacob looked at that and said, but God did not let him harm me. And that's, that's an important perspective that we need to keep. Just like at the very end, you know, where he says in verse 9, God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. Jacob had learned, he had grown to understand that even if God allowed him to go through a time, time of suffering or if somebody was going to wrong him that that they could only get away with so much god was still protecting him uh, from any kind of harm that would have been over the top it was still god in control of the circumstance you know in verse 10 it says you know he goes on to explain how god made it known to him known to him that he was going to be with him through this circumstance it says when the flocks were breeding i saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted and speckled males were mating with the females. In that dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, look up and see, and all the males that were mating with the flocks were streaked, spotted, and speckled, for I have seen that all of, I'm sorry, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. That's an important line. God telling him, hey, look, all these others are, are mating the way that I'm gonna set this up. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Even though Laban was getting away with it. You know, from an earthly perspective, Laban was winning. He was succeeding in making his life miserable. But God says, I'm still in control. I'm dictating the way that all this is happening. I'm arranging it the way it's supposed to be because I have seen what Laban is doing. We have to remind ourselves. Sometimes in the midst of these things, that even if it seems like nobody else cares, or even if it seems like, does anybody, is anybody going to stop this? Why am I the only one who can tell I'm being wronged here? God is still aware. God still sees. He's still very active in the situation. And he knows how that person is treating you. He knows what they're doing that is wrong, even if they seem to be getting away with it from an earthly perspective. God is still keeping tabs. God still understands. And he finishes off in verse 13. You know, I love this part. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up, leave this land and return to your native land. God stops him. He tells him, number one, I'm orchestrating the events that are taking place. He's trying to cheat you. I know that he's trying to cheat you, but I'm setting it up to where I will still bless you, even in the midst of that. You're still going to be blessed by me because the blessings come from me, not him, not his circumstance. He can't dictate how blessings are going to happen in your life. I'm the provider of blessings. So he says, okay, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to make sure that all these things happen, just like I said, and you're going to be blessed. But on top of that, he says, I am the God of Bethel. Why would he say that? He said that because if you remember at the beginning of his journey, when he left, remember he left because he was being chased out of town by his brother Esau because Esau wanted to kill him because he stole the blessing. He connived and he cheated and he was cheating them just like he's being cheated now. Right. But he did that to his brother and he had to leave. He had to run for his life. And remember the first stop that he made was in Bethel and he was so exhausted that he set up a rock for a pillow. You know, we talked about that. Have you ever been so tired that you looked at you looked at a rock and you're like, oh, that'd be comfortable. I could sleep right on that thing. I mean, you have to be exhausted to do that. So he was exhausted. I'm sure emotionally drained, didn't know where he was going to go, didn't know how it was going to work out, wasn't sure even how he'd support himself. He had never done that before. He was away from his mom. I mean, all these things were happening all at once. He's exhausted. He goes to sleep on a rock. He has a dream the Lord reveals to him all the promises of what he's going to do and strengthens him and encourages him and gives him direction of where he wants him to go. All of those things, right? And then if you remember though, right after that, after God had done that through that dream, through that hard time in his life, Jacob went and took oil and he poured it on that rock. And I taught a message called pour oil on that rock. And sometimes it's, you know, for me, that was, the, that was Jacob consecrating his situation to the Lord. Like this was his hard thing in life. You know, this was the rock. This was like what brought some pain and distress in his life. This was a symbol of those things. But now it was a symbol of God's faithfulness. It was a symbol of even in the midst of hardships and difficulties, God was still with him. As a matter of fact, in the midst of the hardship and difficulties, you will find that God will be more clearly with you. More evidently with you, he will be there in such clear ways that you're like, man, the things that were supposed to be destroying my life, I now can consecrate and say, God was with me. And that's what God says. He says, I am the same God that was with you at that really hard time in your life. When you began this journey 20 years ago, I am the same God that I was back then. I was with you then when you started this journey, when it was hard and you didn't know what to do, and I strengthened you and I told you what to do. I am the same God now in this hard journey, in this part that's difficult. I am still with you. He says, I am the God of Bethel where you poured oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. It's like he had to remind Jacob. This had been 20 years. He had to remind him. You were in this situation before and I was faithful to you. Remember remember my faithfulness in the past. Remember how I used that in the past for your good. And then he goes on to tell him, "Not only was I faithful, remember the vow that you made. You poured oil on that rock. You consecrated your life. You said you would follow me no matter what. You said That I was going to be your God. And sometimes in hard situations, the Lord has to remind us, do you remember the vow you made? Do you remember that I was faithful then and I am the same God now? And do you remember when you promised, when you vowed, when you gave your life to me and said, I will follow you, God, with my whole life? Do you remember when you made that vow to me, he says? Sometimes God has to remind us of the commitments that we made to him and his previous faithfulness in order to get us through our present distresses. Because there's seasons, right? We talk about that a lot. There are seasons. There's some good seasons where everything is going great. And there are some hard seasons where it's not going great, where it's really hard in life. And that's just the ebb and flow of life uh, for everyone. You know, I I don't think anyone's exempt of that. You know, we all have situations where we said, man, that was a great season in life. It was so much, so much fun and joy and just happiness and everything was coming together. And then we have those seasons that it's like, I'm sleeping on a rock. (laughs) You know, Lord, where are you? And when are you going to, when are you going to show up to help me in this situation? And God reminds us, even in those future seasons that occur, I'm still the same God. I'm the same God that was with you back then. I am the same God that is with you now. And do you remember when you said that you were going to give your life to me? Do you remember? Do you remember when you said that you trusted me? Do you remember when you said, I will follow you, God? Do you remember those things? Because now you need to follow me. Now is when you gotta, you gotta put the work in because it's not coming so easily. Now you really have to trust me. God hadn't forgotten about that day, and he wanted to make sure that Jacob hadn't either. That was a very important time in his life, and he was still that same God. So here's how his wives responded when he did that. In verse 14, it says, Then Rachel and Leah answered him, Do we have any portion or inheritance from our in our father's family? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us, and has certainly spent our purchase price. in fact, all the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has said to you. so at this point in their life, number one, Rachel and Leah know that their that their dad is a dishonest man. they know that he can 't be trusted. he already wasted all the wealth that he had been given from Jacob. He blew through all that money and everything that, you know, because God was blessing him while Jacob was watching his herds, but he was just wasting all that money. He basically spent all the money that he earned and the inheritance and the dowry. He spent everything. He wasted all the money. They said, we don't, what does he have for us? There's no inheritance with them anymore. And then they looked at him and they said, you know, it really doesn't matter because all the inheritance that my father stole from you, God has given to us because we are married to you. And now God has increased your riches. So we have our inheritance through the blessings God has given you. They were realizing that God was blessing Jacob, even though their father was trying to take advantage of him. And they had learned to trust him in that. And that sounds great. And you know, from all that, it's like, wow, these, these women have really matured. You know, After all the things that have happened, they're really starting to learn to trust God. Uh, don't move so fast, though. You know, they, they have far, far from perfect execution on this. So verse 17, it says, So Jacob got up and put his children and wives on the camels. He took all the livestock and possessions he had acquired in Paranoram, and he drove his herds to go through the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household item. Or I'm sorry, Rachel s- stole her father's household idols, and Jacob deceived Laban the Arminian for not te- not telling him that he was fleeing. He fled with all of his possessions, crossed the Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. <laughs> Do you read that like me and go, really? God has done so much. He appeared to you in a dream again and told you, reminded you of the vow that you made, reminded you of this faithfulness. He says, hey, go back to your ancestors. I'm telling you where to go. Go back to your family and just flee from this place. I mean, he God made everything so clear. They had seen, remember when they were having baby wars and when God was like turning on the womb and turning off the womb and it was totally, completely up to God on when they got pregnant? They learned all those blessings came from God. These women knew that God was the one who was in control of all these things. And Jacob should have known it by now too. He's had 20 years of learning about God's faithfulness in the midst of harsh circumstances. But right when it gets tough again, right when the heat gets turned up in life, and now he's making a major change in his life, what does he do? He reverts back to old Jacob. And what does old Jacob do? He's a deceiver. And he lies to Laban instead of just like packing up and saying, "See, ya Laban, I did what I was supposed to do. I kept my commitment. I'm taking my wives and my animals and my children and I'm going away because God told me to." Instead of manning up and just facing it and telling him, "He deceives him. He lies. He reverts back to the man he was before those 20 years of what should have been spiritual growth." And then what about Rachel? Stealing her dad's idols? I mean, just think about that. Why would she do that? She knows that those gods are powerless. They're just little stick figures. Maybe it was a little plastic thing of Thor. I don't know. But it was just you know something that was stupid. It was just a little fake god. And it's like, why would she steal that? Why would she do that when she knew that the god that she was following through Jacob was the one true god? Unfortunately, though, that's what people tend to do. You know, this this is something that's common. I'm not saying that everyone does it. But, you know, there may be a time where God does reveal himself in a very real way, way to people. And maybe they surrender their life to the Lord. And maybe they start... Following him and they're going to church and they're reading their Bible and there seems to be some spiritual growth like there was really good spiritual growth, you know, major things changing in their have in their lifestyles. Like, you know, we see in Jacob, his character was changing. He was not a deceiver anymore. He was he was becoming somebody new, like the Bible says, you know, when you're a new creation in Christ, everything is becoming new. You're, you're being changed from the inside out. You're not the same person that you used to be back then before Christ. Those things were happening even in Jacob's life, you know, that he was becoming a different man. His character was changing. He was becoming a better man. But when the heat got turned up and there was problems that he had to face, instead of just trusting the Lord, he easily reverted back to who he used to be and behaved like that old man. And that can happen to all of us you know, situations happen in life and you may have been walking with the Lord for a long time now and you may have learned to really trust the Lord. But when things really get hard in life, there's always the temptation and this undercurrent in your life trying to sweep you back to who you used to be and trying to get you to respond like you used to respond prior to christ and you need to be very very aware of that that that's something the enemy is constantly coming at you trying to get you to do to be that same guy that you used to be or that same gal that you used to be thankfully though you know as god's children he doesn't allow us to revert back to that old sinful self he won't let you stay there you may temporarily go back you may make a bad decision like Jacob did here where he deceived his uncle once again instead of just manning up and telling him the truth but God won't allow you to remain in that sin if you're truly born again and you're truly God's child he will deal with that he's not going to let you go back to being that same person because that same person that old you is dead that's not who you are anymore you're not going to live in that place anymore it's just like people who accept the Lord and maybe they get delivered from drinking or, or um, you know, drugs or whatever it is, or uh, pick your sin, whatever the sin is that you're just, you're really struggling with and it had a stronghold in your life. You know, so many people, once they get saved for a while and then they're, they're you know, super strong, they're on fire for the Lord and they're like, ah, oh, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. And then some problems come in life and eventually it's like, ah, oh, it's only one drink. It's only, you know, it's only one You know, joint, whatever it is, it's 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 no big deal. It's just it's I'm just going to do this. No big deal. I can assure you this: if you try to go back to those things that were bringing so much destruction in your life before Christ, you're not going to enjoy those things. Okay? Um, I mean, there's going to be so much conviction, even if there's a temporary, you know, satisfaction through the sin that you're committing. I promise you, that's going to be bitter very quickly because the Lord has changed your desires. The things that, that you used to do that you thought brought so much satisfaction in your life, you're not going to get that satisfaction out of trying to do those things once you're born again. You'll try to do it and, and you may try to listen to that same music or try to do those same things, but the satisfaction is removed because your desires have changed. You know, and I think that we have to be careful when we try to bring some spare idols along for the ride. You know, it's like, okay, well, just in case God doesn't work out, I'm going to bring these little fake gods with me, these little idols that I can pack with me. And that way, if things go bad, I can use those things again. God doesn't allow you to bring spare idols along the journey with him. When you turn from those things in your life, those things that you used to value so much, but they 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 were worthless or they brought you harm, God doesn't allow you to pack that along for the journey. He, he'll uncover it. He'll deal with it. Because he doesn't want you to live with those things or long after those things. You know, why would you turn back to those things? We see that in verse, you know, 22. It starts talking about it. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him, pursued Jacob for seven days, and overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Arminian, in a dream at night. Watch yourself, God warned him. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. When Laban overtook Jacob, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his relatives also pitched their tents in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, What have we done? You have deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you do why did you secretly flee from me deceive me and not tell me I would have sent you away with joy and singing and tambourines and lyres and a piñata oh okay that's not that's in my translation but you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my duck and my daughters you acted foolishly I could do you great harm but last night the god of your father said to me watch yourself don't say anything to Jacob either good or bad now you have gone off because you long for your father's family. But why have you stolen my gods? <laughs> that makes me laugh. <laughs> a few things make me laugh. Number 1, really? Do you really think he would have had a party? You know, oh, you're going to go back home. Oh, wonderful. Let's have a party. Go kill the calf. Let's do it. I bring the band in. Oh, let's <laughs> What a liar. There's no way that's what he would have done to him, you know, but in his mind, he's like, I would have treated this so much better if you had just done the right thing. Don't you hate it? Like when you sin and then somebody that that, you know, has no moral character whatsoever starts, you know, starts lecturing you on morality. You know, (laughs) It's like, really? You really think I I believe you were going to do this for me? No, you would not have done that for me. But the very end, you know, where he says, but why have you stolen my gods? You know, it's like, listen, if someone can steal your gods, you are really in a bad position. Okay, I would question your eternal state at that point. If I can walk in and jack your little god, something's wrong. All right, Uh man, that's probably the wrong god to be to be worshiping. But anyways, Jacob goes on in verse 31 to explain why he did what he did, and now he starts challenging him to find anything that would incriminate him in this matter. It says, Jacob answered, I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. If you find your gods with anyone here, he will not live. Before our relatives, point out anything that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the idols. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, and the tents of two of the concubines, but he found nothing. When he left Leah's tent, he went into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, put them in the saddlebag of the camel, and sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent, but found nothing. She said to her father, Do not be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I am having my period. So Laban searched, but could not find the household idols. <laughs> In Jacob's mind, there was absolutely no way that he could have ever imagined that somebody would have done that. He just, when, when that accusation came out that somebody stole the idols, he's like, that's nonsense. There is absolutely no way that anyone who is traveling with me would have stolen those worthless idols. Why would they even do such a thing? He was so convinced that if anybody even did it, it would have had to been one of his servants because he said in verse 32, he will not live. He never even thought for a second it could have been his wife. Never. That never crossed his mind that his wife could have done something like that. It completely blindsided him. As a matter of fact, this passage never tells us that he ever found out. He just didn't know that his wife had done that. And that really made me think about things, you know. First of all, it's a reminder that to all of us, that any of us can fall into sin. When none of us are, you know, when there is no vaccine to cure sin. There's no like two-shot solution, you know, it's like, Sin is in you and it's something that can happen that you can do at all times and you are fully capable of committing some horrible sins even as a believer. The difference is you're not obligated to do it. The Bible says that before Christ, you were obligated, that you were under the power of sin, uh, such as addictions, you know, or lying or just the things that you did, sleeping around, whatever it was. You were under those powers and that was your master because sin was your, it mastered over you. It was your Lord. You obeyed those desires because they had total control over your decisions. You were just like going along as a slave would go along under his master. But now you've been set free from that. The, the bondage of sin has been broken. Not the temptation, though. The temptation is still there. The difference is it's no longer your master. You have been reassigned under a new master. You're not, you're not free from being a slave. The Bible tells us that we're a slave of righteousness now. Now your, your new master is Christ. And he's the one that you follow. He's the one that you obey. But the temptations are still there. Now you just have, through the power of Christ you, and the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you have the ability to reject those temptations and to not give in to those things. All of us are capable of falling. All of us are capable of doing things that we would be very ashamed of if other people found out. I, it made me think of how many stories I've heard of maybe a spouse, a husband or a wife, that was living a secret double life, and the other one didn't know. And it just completely blindsided that spouse when they found out. They would have never in a million years thought that person was sleeping around or involved in something illegal or whatever it is. They're like, I knew them. I I lived with them in the same house. I knew everything about them. And then something comes up where sin is revealed, and it's like, I never saw it. I would have never believed... In in all my life that this person was capable of doing this. It's it's terrible when, when things happen like that. You know, I, I just think of the fact that, you know, the responsibility that we have, especially as a husband and a wife or maybe to our kids or our kids to us, uh, that family unit, we have a responsibility to never put the people that we love in situations like that. To try and hide some sin, you know, hide some idol, whatever it is. And, and you know, our family may be like, there's no way this person would ever do it. And they would just be destroyed if they knew the truth. They would be destroyed. It would hurt them so bad, you know, if if the truth ever came out. We have a responsibility. And maybe it was God's grace that it's not recorded that Jacob found out. Maybe it would have damaged that relationship for the rest of their life. You know, maybe it would have been something that really would have been a problem for them in their marriage. Had that been uncovered that she did really do this in his mind, she would have never done something like that. You know, and that's love. The Bible says that love believes all things, you know, that, that we believe the best about people we love. We don't expect them to fail. We don't expect them to do things that that are sinful or something that would hurt us or whatever it is. So our our natural reaction for people that we love is trust. We, we have faith. We trust that they're going to do the right thing. We expect them to. But man, when that's violated and when it's exposed, it's painful and it does major, major damage. And we have to protect those things, not just for ourselves, but for each other. We have to protect those things. Once nothing was uncovered, he didn't find anything because of her ploy to, you know, be sitting on it and couldn't stand up and all that. Uh, Jacob's self-righteousness really kicks into high gear. And he proceeds to unload what I believe is 20 years of pent up frustration and anger. In verse 36, it says, Then Jacob became incensed and brought charges against Laban. What is my crime? He said to Laban, What is my sin that you have pursued me? You have searched all of my possessions. Have you found anything of yours? Put it here before my relatives. I'm sorry. Put it here before my relatives and yours and let them decide between the two of us. I've been with you these 20 years. Your ewes, your uh, female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten rams from your flock. I did not bring you any of the flock torn by wild beasts. I myself bore the loss. You demanded a payment from me for what was stolen by day or by night. There I was. The heat consumed me by day and the frost by night, and I slept and slept fled from my eyes. For 20 years in your household, I served you. 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work. And he issued his verdict last night. And you know what? Jacob was right in all of those things. He was absolutely right. Everything he said was true. Had God not been with him during those 20 years of being mistreated, Laban would have done much worse things to him. But God was protecting him even in the midst of being wrong. Just because we experience some level of evil, and it may be terrible, I'm not minimizing, it may be horrible what you're going through. That does not mean that God has allowed unhindered access to you in those regards. It doesn't mean that he's like open up the floodgate of evil and just let Satan or, you know, the world or whatever, just, you know, have at it with you. That doesn't mean that. Jacob learned that even though God was allowing a certain element of evil to be in his life and sins that were committed against him by others and being mistreated and lied to and all that, he understood that God was allowing those things But at the same time, God was restraining evil in his life. He was restraining the full effect of evil to come to pass in his life. He was shielding him. We have to understand that when we're going through bad things. No matter how bad it is, God has not set us up to where it will destroy us. No temptation or trial has ever you know, come upon us that God has not given us the ability to withstand is what the Bible says. It's not intended to overcome you. The Lord restrains it to where it is bearable. It may not feel bearable, but it is. The Lord knows your limits. Verse 43, then Laban answered Jacob, the daughters of my daughters, the children, my children, and the flocks, my flocks. Everything you see is mine. But what can I do today for these daughters of mine or for the children that they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between the two of us. So Jacob picked out a stone and set it up as a marker. Then Jacob said to his relatives, gather stones. And they took stones and made a mound. Then ate there by the mound. Laban named the mound Jared, so da, 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 da. then Jacob named it Galid. <laughs> then Jacob said, this mound is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, the place was called Galid. And also Mitzpah, which really means watch, watchtower. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God will be a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Look at this mound and the marker I have set up between you and me. This mound is a witness and the marker is a witness that I will not pass beyond this mound to you and you will not pass beyond this mound and this marker to do me harm. The God of Abraham and the gods of Nahor, the gods of their father, will judge between us. And Jacob swore by the the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and invited his relatives to eat a meal. So they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Laban got up early in the morning and kissed his grandchildren and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban left to return home. Just a couple of observations on that. First of all, Jacob picked a stone. Verse 45. So Jacob picked out a stone and set it up as a marker. By this point, Laban had conceded there was nothing he could do. He said, if I hurt my, if I hurt you, I hurt my family. So what can I do? I, I can't hurt them. I'm not going to hurt them. Let's just make a truce. Okay. And here's the truce. You're not going to hurt my family. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to pass beyond this place. And I'm not going to pass beyond this place to do you harm. Let's just make a truce is all we're going to do. And God will be a witness. Now he was swearing to his false God. And Jacob was swearing to the true God. They were making a vow, a covenant. We will not go past this place to hurt one another. There's going to be some some separation between us. But Jacob goes and he says, okay, this is an important moment. I'm going to set up a rock. Now remember, last time he did that, was when he left to go and get his wife. Remember during that time when the Lord appeared to him in a dream, we've already talked about that time where he slept on a rock. He set that up as a memorial stone when he poured oil on it. Jacob was really one of the first people in the Bible that was doing that. That that whenever there was a significant event that took place, he would set up a stone or stones to set that up as a testimonial and a reminder of what God did. You know, and it made me think, do we really put enough thought into setting up memorial stones in our life? When God has done something great, when God has done something amazing, do we intentionally look for ways to set up memorial stones, things that we will remember? That will be important to remind us because we know life will still come at us. There's still going to be problems. There's still going to be difficulties. Do we set up memorial stones along the way so that when those things come, we can look back to those things and remember God's faithfulness and remember the vows that we made and the things that we took? Um, I thought of some examples like a wedding ring, right? We set up, that's a memorial stone. It doesn't keep us married. It reminds us that we're married is what it is. It's a, it's a memorial store, stone of sorts. You know, or maybe it's a jewelry item. Maybe it's something that somebody, a necklace or something that somebody gives you as, as just something to remind you of some event that took place or something that was important or somebody that was important in your life. We have diplomas, right? We put a diploma on the wall and it just reminds us of something that was important that we achieved, a a stone in our life. You know, some people have like crushed roses in their Bibles and it was because somebody gave them a rose or maybe it was symbolic of a memorial service for a family member or something and it reminds them of those things, you know? Um... Highlighted verses in your Bible, maybe there's underlying verses, maybe there's you know little short sentences you put in your Bible, just memorial stones of what God said or did during that time uh guitars, and you may be wondering why guitar uh, because just this when I went to visit Melinda, she couldn't take her guitar with her, and um you know just as far as getting traveling down there and stuff, and you know, as I was she was in class, and i 'm thinking, you know what can I give my daughter something that will be a blessing to her, but something that will remind her of this moment in her life where things are really good. She's loving it. She loves where she lives. She loves uh, the school. God is doing some great things when it comes to friends, uh, really growing her and maturing in her faith. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, as a dad, what can I give to her that will remind her of this for the rest of her life? And, and the thought came to me, and I know my wife will laugh at this, but the thought was like a guitar. You know, I want to get her a nice guitar. I want her to have something that, number one, she's going to be, she's staying there through the summer now because she's working on staff. So we're not going to see her. So there's not going to be a lot of students on campus. So she's going to be alone for a lot of those times. And it's something that she can play and she can kind of get back into playing and worshiping once again. uh, And maybe the Lord will use it. I don't know. But more so, I want it to be something for the rest of her life when she grabs that guitar, She remembers the point of life where she was at. It's a marker. This was a time that was very, very important to her. It's not the most expensive guitar. It's a $300 guitar. But it's it's something that I want her to remember what God was doing in her life at that moment. And every time she plays it, something she can keep for the rest of her life, she can remember what God was doing in his faithfulness at that point in her life. It was a memorial stone is what I wanted it to be. And I told her that when I gave it to her. It's, yes, I want you to play guitar and I want you to enjoy it and be blessed by that. But more so, I want you to remember this season of life for the rest of your life, no matter what comes your way. I want you to remember this. We have to be intentional about setting up memorial stones. And all the guys are like, I'm buying a gun. I need a stone. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Well, maybe I am. I don't know. Okay, but we need to be intentional about what memorial stones we set up in life. Are Are you looking for something to to encapsulate something that God has done? We need to do that for each other and and let God use that. That's where we're going to leave off here today. I want us just to remember, first of all, that this was a messy situation. Jacob had made a lot of mistakes over these 20 years. You know, you think about it. He used deception to initially end up in this situation, running for his life. He was cheated by his uncle Laban and ended up with two wives instead of just the one and their concubines. He was forced to serve that man for 14 years for those wives because he had no money. Uh, his wives were fighting against each other, constantly having baby wars, trying to see who could have the most kids. And to top it off, Jacob spent another six years trying to build up a nest egg just so that he could support his own family and break away from his uncle. All the while, Laban and his sons were cheating him and changing the terms and doing everything they could to stop that from happening. And then it ended with this contentious departure where he lied to Laban and Rachel stole their idols. I mean, you look at the 20 years and it's like it was a mess. It was not smooth. It was a hard, hard 20 years of his life. This was a long, difficult, sin-stained, hard season of life. And you know what? God was still working all the way through it. God was orchestrating things through it. Even though there was horrible things going wrong, God was still working. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that God is going to establish the nation of Israel through this man. And all these things that have been happening had to take place. I'm not saying that they were right decisions. I'm not saying that this is the exact path that God wanted to happen. But it is the path that did happen, mistakes and all, everything that was messed up in this whole thing, and God was still using it for a purpose. And that's what I want you to remember. God is still working even in the midst of our messes. God is still working. I am not challenging you to go and mess it up so that God will still work. I'm not telling you to just, you know, cast off restraint and do whatever you want. What I'm telling you is don't give up hope. When when times are tough and things are going wrong and it's a hard season in life, God is still working. He's still doing things in the midst of it. And that's exactly what God was doing. This When this chapter ends, this is a 20-year season of hardship that's coming to an end for Jacob. 20 years. That's a long time to go through something hard. This was coming to a close and a new season was going to begin. And I want you to remember that there's new seasons for us too. Sometimes leading to good seasons, sometimes leading to bad seasons, sometimes, but the seasons change in life. And I just want you to know that no matter the good season or the bad season, however we perceive it at the moment, God is still good and God is still working. He's still doing something no matter what that season feels like to us. Jacob's life is a testimony of this. And we need to remember that as well. So with that, let's pray. And then uh, we'll have a little bit of conversations about it and just catch up. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this example in Scripture. I thank you that, you know, Jacob made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. A lot of things went wrong, Lord. And yet you were still working. You were still guiding him. You were still leading him, even in the midst of all the mess. Lord, I pray that you would do the same for us. Help us to know that you are doing the same for us. I believe you will. If if we're your children, you're going to take care of us. Father, just if there's any that are struggling because they've had a hard season and it feels like it's not ending and it feels like it's been going on for too long, Lord, would you please strengthen them? Would you give them the resolve to continue to go forward and trust you no matter how it feels or how it seems? Because you are still working in the midst of it. God, we thank you. I, I just, I love you, Lord. And I thank you that, that I can trust you, that you are a God that can even take bad things and use them for good, for my good and for your glory. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray that you settle that in our hearts, no matter what we go through. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.